This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 4, Episode 2. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network and brought to you by Excess Sites. Today it is Wednesday, October 6th, 2021, as of the recording of the show. I am your esteemed host, Riley Bowman. I've never said that before. <laughs> esteemed. Just esteemed. And I am joined by my even more esteemed co-host and founder and overall good dude, buddy, friend of mine, Jacob Paulson. Thanks for the invitation, Riley. <laughs> you are so esteemed. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, guys, we're glad to be with you back for another episode here, second time now in a week with Jacob. We're so glad to have him back in the saddle and glad to be back more or less on the uh, usual routine of two episodes a week. Uh, we record these two episodes each week on Wednesdays. Sometimes you might hear us refer to earlier today or later today, and that's because we do the two shows that while you might only catch them on Tuesdays or Thursdays or Wednesdays and Fridays, as they're released on our uh, podcast uh, uh, publisher. Um, just know that we record them on the same day. Anyway, here we are. This episode is going to be a fun one. We're going to talk about the gun safety rule that I and Jacob argued about. Fairly red, like it was a pretty, it was a fairly red faced discussion from what certainly I certainly lasted a long time. <laughs> and it was funny because it's, it's, it's over a, a relatively simple thing, but. And we still don't agree. But we had uh, strong opinions, and as director of training, apparently I won. <laughs> you did. You won. And I'll be honest, I cannot remember for the life of me what what aspect specifically it what like the wording that you wanted versus the wording that I wanted. And I also, but we're going to talk about that. You're going to remind me. I what remember. That was. Yeah. Um. Uh. And uh. And we're going to find out which you know of the listeners agree with you versus me. So that'll be interesting and fun, but it has been written and it is in fact in stone. It's not changing. I just, I'm going to be clear it's on not that. It's not in stone. Oh, metaphorically. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's, it's, it is published. I think our, our former uh, uh, managing editor of the website, Josh uh, Gillum was part of that uh, conversation as well. And probably Matthew Marister. I'm sure they all agreed with me, yeah. but whatever. Yeah, of course, Ma of Matthew course. doesn't like having opinions in those environments. He'll just be like, oh, no, I'm, I see it either way. <laughs> no, it's fine. He's like the peacemaker. Good, you know? Yeah. Can't, good old you can't Christian rely on boy. him to break, to break an argument. <laughs> anyway, we'll get into it, but this is going to give us an opportunity to talk about the gun safety rules as we, uh, as we teach them here at concealedcarry.com. Uh, that's how I teach them in my classes. That's how attendees of the Guardian Conference received the rules when we uh, taught them on day one of the event. Uh, and that's also how they are described in our gun safety course as found on concealedcarry.com that we released earlier this year, right? Yes. Or was that last year? This year. This year. Dude, time flies by, and I'll tell you, the last month or two feels like it took all year long. So, Preaching to the choir. So much going on. But anyway, today's sponsor is our very own ConcealedCarry.com gun safety course. This would be a great opportunity for you to go ahead and check that out. Here's the thing. It's one of those video courses on our website that is totally available for free. It's available in our Guardian University for free. Right, Guardian Nation members get access to a bunch more content. But anybody can go out on there and watch the gun safety course. And if you want a short link to that course, go to concealedcarry.com forward slash gun safety course. I'll take you to it and you can watch the course. It's a good course. We cover a lot of different issues in that uh, video training. So uh, yeah, it'd be good for experienced or unexperienced, inexperienced folks alike to uh, go through. Inexperienced, I think, is the yeah, better use. Anyway, uh, today's episode also sponsored by Ready Up Gears Dummy Ammo. 
which is back in stock. We were out of stock there for a while, uh, but uh, Right Up Gear WMO came back into stock. Super excited to be seeing those ship back out again. They they go fast. I'll tell you one of the reasons why is because it's, I think, the best value on the market for dummy training ammunition. So by dummy ammo, we're talking about it, it's it's inert. It's for safe dry fire practice type use, and it is a heck of a value. It's better than just the best value. I think it's the best product. That's my opinion. But it has a yeah. full primer cup. So if you're concerned about damage from dry fire uh, to a little or to a great you know amount, this is something that will protect that that potential damage because the primer cup is filled in. It's an actual brass shell casing. So in terms of the way it feeds and it works in your gun, there's nothing weird. It's not going to leave any paint or aluminum shavings of metal behind like uh, you know other name brand products do. And uh, it has a hard uh, polymer plastic. It's uh, in fact it's EU certified because a lot of it's a lot of the competi- competing dummy rounds out there can't be sold in Europe because you can actually pull out, uh, put a real primer cup in it and shoot them. You can actually uh, make them into real ammo, shooting out plastic innards. This cannot. So it's fully safe. It meets EU standards. It's just, in my opinion, the best dummy ammo out there. And yes, it's extremely affordable. That'd be kind of fun to like take dummy ammo and convert it to... Like I'd, I'd be curious to see how well that would work with just a primer. I know some people who have done it, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, the Ready Up Gear dummy ammo is uh, is you can't do that with. So uh, it's good stuff. Like you're exactly right. I think it is also the best stuff on the market. And again, it's the best and also like the best price. Yeah, right now only available so. in nine millimeter and two two three, but more calibers are coming soon. Working on it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And we're excited about that. So, guys, go to readyupgear.com to order yourself some 9mm dummy or 223 dummy ammo. Although most of you, I mean, we'd probably sell probably 10 to 1 at least, uh, 9mm to 223, right? Yeah, probably 20 to 1. Yeah. Anyway, all right, let's get into this episode. So, um, a good while back, I mean, how long has it been? Two years now, maybe? Year mm-hmm. and a half? Uh, we entered into this discussion. I think I initiated it, probably, because it had been on my mind for a while. And I want to be clear that, first of all, it's one of those things where you have these gun safety rules that have been in existence for a good amount of time, a long time in some cases. And some of those have been, I mean, in the case of like Jeff Cooper's four rules or the rules that are used at Gunsight uh, and many other people follow and use those same rules as well. Uh, I mean, they were created by a very well-respected father of, of this industry. Right. And so there, there is this part of me that kind of feels a bit funny to be like, Hey, you know what? We love you to death, Jeff Cooper, but um, I know think you're, we think yeah. your rules suck. <laughs> and we're not saying that, by the way. But yeah. um, go ahead. Well, I, I just like people, like I'm an Amelia Bedelia type. You know, if you're in the generation to understand the reference, I'm an extremely literal person. In fact, it happened at the beginning of this episode recording. You said something and I took it literally. Oh, you said that they were etched in stone. And I'm like, no, they're not. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, he's, he's, he's just, you know, using a metaphor. It's fine, Jacob. Like I'm a very literal person. I think when you say things that they should mean what you say. And I, I in fact struggle with expressions uh, because I'm, I'm just a literal kind of guy. And so I, I look at a lot of the traditional safety rules where we're talking about the Cooper set of rules, the NRA set of rules, the USCCA has their own set of rules. Now um, I, I look at those and I'm just like, I, you know, I feel like Princess Bride moments. Like, I do not think that means what you th- what you think it means. You know, like you're what it, the way it's written, it does not mean what you actually want it to communicate. Mm-hmm. And this is why you find that firearm trainers have to spend an inordinate amount of time explaining the safety rules because they don't actually mean what they say. Now. That said, uh, I mean, even when they do mean what they say, and even if you're using you know rules that I think are extremely awesome, it's okay to expand. I'm not saying that it's it's unnecessary 
to spend some time talking about or you know providing context context or examples of of why rules are the way they are or what they mean. I'm saying that it shouldn't read one way and mean something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I so the thing is, is I'm less literal as a person than you are, but still believe that words mean things and. It's a it's a best practice to try to use precise language to use the best words to communicate what we intend to communicate, especially I would say when we're dealing with issues of safety, which firearm safety rules very much are a matter of safety, a matter of life and death even. So uh, that's kind of what started this discussion, however long ago again it was. Now, I, I forget, but we, we had a probably an hour and a half long meeting about this, about just these, what we ended up with, four rules. Uh, and, and, so, and to that point, that's another thing. You go to the NRA, for instance, and they have three rules go to Gunsight or anything inspired by Jeff Cooper, you've got four rules. Go to some random gun range in Ohio and you might see five things up on a board somewhere, you know? Well, I've uh, seen 10. I've seen, I've seen as many as 10 safety rules. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, and a lot of times, you know, when when we understand the principles behind the rules, we, we, we see the commonalities. Like we, we look at the four, three or four or five or 10 rules and we're like, yeah, I know what that's saying. And, and they're basically all communicating the same thing. Um, and so, you know, what do we have to go do? Well, let's go write our own, in this case, four rules so we can add to the confusion, I suppose. But this is not, I, I never wanted to do this and have it be like, we're going to try to influence the industry and so that the industry adopts our four rules. That's not what it's about. It was about in the classes that we teach, okay, uh, on our website, on the podcast, you know, the concealedcarry.com universe, these are the rules we use. And if you are critically thinking as a human being, which most of us are, or at least are capable of, you can read those rules and you can apply to the if you if if you don't like the verbiage fine but you should be able to read them and understand them and go oh yes i understand what this is saying this is pretty much the same concept as this rule in the nra's wording or jeff cooper's or whatever that's all fine but as we teach them it was important to us that the precision of language be you know on point so now to that point um there's a challenge sometimes, right? Because like, I'll use it as an example. Jeff Cooper's rule number one, all guns are always loaded. Well, that is incredibly succinct. I mean, like that's five words. So as a rule, that's pretty awesome because it's easy to remember. All guns are always loaded. Okay. Yeah, and var- variation would be, that we hear, right? Something like always treat the firearm as if it were loaded. Yes. Yes, which is the variation that I primarily adopted uh, years ago. Yeah, I'd say it's the most common. Yeah, yes, that is a very common one and uh, is not all that uh, different from the post, uh, you know, f- law enforcement, you know, training rules that, that I uh, had to abide by uh, as a law enforcement instructor as well. So, Yes, uh, treat all firearms as though they are loaded or all guns are always loaded. Something to that effect. Many of you are familiar with that concept. And those are pretty succinct. And that so here's the thing. With giving an accurate wording to a rule sometimes can be tricky because sometimes it feels like you almost have to have more words than you'd like to have to communicate the thing co- uh, correctly or clearly. Or accurately, and and so that's something that we struggled with as we went through this because it was like, well, we want the literalness, the precision of those rules to be in place, but we're trying to balance that with it being short enough that it can be learned and memorized if needed. 
It's at odds. Yeah. And I hate, I repeat, I hate the traditional way rule number one is worded. I think it is completely ridiculous. I think it's dumb and stupid. Um, I understand that the concept behind it, the principle that's trying to be taught is awesome and good and fine. But the way it's worded is so dumb. I just hate it. Wow. I, I mean, first off, you're really coming guns, down hard on Cooper. I'm sorry, Cooper. Like all guns are not all loaded all the time. Like your Jeff Cooper's rule number one is a lie. It's just an untruth. Like in, in, in every literal sense, like all guns are loaded all the time. No, they're not. Like, sorry, bro. That ain't true. So a lot of people felt that way, right? So that's why more often we see always treat firearms as if they were loaded. Uh, no. <laughs> like, that's extremely impractical also. If I walk around pretending all my guns are loaded all the time, I'm going to have a real hard time doing anything that I need to do with a gun. I'm gonna ha- I, I, You can't clean your gun. How in the world do you tr- clean your gun and lubricate it if, if you have to pretend that it's loaded? Because if I think, if I'm acting as if my gun were loaded, I, I ain't breaking it down and lubricating it. So or, everything. Uh, or doing everything dry everything, fire. <laughs> yeah, you can't conduct dry fire. Sorry. That, I have to pretend this gun is loaded. So I can't, you know, nope. Sorry. So so the, it's, it's completely ridiculous. Like, why would we say it the way, why would we say it in a way that's not accurate? Like, it, I just, yeah, rule number one is my least yeah. favorite. I, I hate it the most. And, and I would say that's really where our discussion with rewriting the rules really first began. Because that was, that is the rule that I never really liked either. It's horrible. Now, I'll say this much. My attitude towards it has been softened somewhat in recent, I would say even in recent weeks. Uh, so I was, uh, I had the privilege of AIing or assist instructing under Chuck Haggard a couple weeks ago, actually a couple of times. And he reviewed the rules in one of his classes and he basically used the, the Cooper rules as he, as he discussed them. And so initially there was the, oh, well, here we go. I know what that means. All guns are always loaded, but they're not. And I wish I could articulate everything he had to say about it. And by the way, he didn't spend like 20 minutes explaining it. It was probably like three or four sentences. But the first thing he said is it's an attitude or a mindset. And I was like, yeah, okay. You know, I could see that. Uh, and he had a bunch of other things to say to it that, that, that again, kind of softened my attitude, my poor attitude towards, uh, the so-called lie. Right. Um, now I also recently saw a video online from, uh, oh shoot, what's his name? I'm also drawing a blank on the, the, uh, the guy's name, but he's, uh, at Tenacore. I think he's the owner of Tenacore holsters. And, uh, I thought it was interesting. There's a video out there and he was talking about these rules and he said he likes that wording because of the lie, because because it feels like wrong, that it maybe helps us remember it or apply it somehow better. I don't know. I, I can't articulate it quite the way he said it, but the way he articulated it made sense. And I was like, okay, I, I'll give you that. I can see these different perspectives. But again, where we started as a company was, well, let's just make the rules simple and direct and literal in their meeting. And I would say the other thing that we really wanted uh, with regards to rules, as far as like a criteria, was for it to apply no matter what. So not just a square range rule, not only thinking about real world environments, but if it's a rule, it's a rule. If it's if it's a so-called cardinal rule, as people sometimes refer to these safety rules, then it should apply all the time. Yeah, I, I want a rule that I can hand to my children and and they can read it and say, got it. Like, yeah, I shouldn't. I, I don't want to have to explain or disclaim it yep. in order for them to understand its meaning. Yep. Yes. 
I mean, right into, if we go into rule number two, uh, that is commonly taught, which oftentimes uses words, something to the effect of keeping a gun or muzzle pointed in a safe direction. So then immediately you got to define what is a safe direction. And, and I know that to many of us, because we've been doing this for a while, or maybe we're just better at critically thinking, uh, you know, it, it's more intuitive and, it, and we just go, oh yeah, well, I know what that means, you know. But, um, I, you know, when I used to teach that, I'd always ask my class or my students, uh, can anyone tell me what is a safe direction? Quite often, I'd get pretty good responses. Every once in a while, I'd get responses. I'd be like, really? So what that, tell, what that told me as an instructor is not everybody intuitively understands what a safe direction is. So, <laughs> yeah, this is another one of those things that I take very literally, right? So for me, a safe direction is a direction where should the gun discharge, I, I, it's completely okay. Like there's no potential that a bad accident will happen. Okay. So, you know, I'm not going to destroy something or hurt somebody or myself or whatever. And so if that's the case, that rule implies I cannot handle a gun in my home ever. There are no safe directions in my home, right? There's no direction in my house that I could discharge a gun with complete confidence that it's not going to hurt anyone. So yeah. then I guess I can't touch guns in my house if I follow that rule literally. So yeah, I, I don't like that one either. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the verbiage as NRA teaches in rule number one is always keep the gun pointed in a safe direction. Uh, now I recently returned from, and I don't mean to make this about us and them, but I'm just gonna use it as an example, uh, uh, active self-protection, John Korea, they, they, they take a variation of this rule and say, always keep the gun pointed in the direction of least consequence. And I kind of like that. Like I, that, that makes sense to me. But again, I don't know if it's quite as intuitive for everybody. Like we're talking about here right now. But, you know, just thinking in terms of, well, what is, you know, recognizing that we can't always truly point a gun in a direction where we're not going to damage something. Because, like, the way we've commonly described or defined safe direction is in a direction where there is not something or someone that we don't want to have damaged or get hurt or killed, right? Something to that effect. Well, I never want to put a hole in a wall or into my concrete floor or my basement even. Like, I don't want to do that, right? Damage is still damage, but defining it in terms of what's the direction of least consequence, well, is down into the concrete floor, you know, five feet or 10 feet away from me better than up through my roof and ceiling and who knows where that bullet comes down. Okay. Well, the direction of least consequence in this case would be down. So, so I do appreciate what John and his team has tried, you know, has done with their approach to the rules. But yeah, again, I, we, we took a be, totally different. Rule. Yeah. Be, before we did our company, you know, jujitsu move on these rules, I, I used to just, the way I used to word that one would be always keep the gun pointed in the safest direction. Like it's just a little tweak to the rule that most of us are familiar with. I just had EST, right? Safest direction, yeah. uh, which, you know, I think is the same concept as the direction of least consequence. I just prefer, you know, safest direction. It just seemed like a less of a tweak to get to where I wanted the rule to be. A lot of us are familiar with the concept, like Cooper's rule was never let the muzzle cover anything you're not willing to destroy. So that, that gets a little bit more explicit. But again, it's like, well, then I can't handle, like, when am I, how am I supposed to, like, holster up in the morning? <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just at a literal angle, it just doesn't work. Yep. So, um, Let's go back to rule one, and we, we start kind of go down this, uh, you know, rule two uh, discussion as well. But just, just so we can throw out there, what is the actual rule one that we came up with? Yeah, yeah. Now, we, by the way, we recognize that we did a whole episode already discussing these things. It's just coming up again because, number one, recently online, there's been a little bit more of a discussion about this. Uh, but the other thing was that we, we've actually had this episode idea in the hopper for a while to actually share with you guys what Jacob and I argued about. <laughs> so we're going to get to that still, but um, rule number one, do you want to give it or should I give it? I can give it. All right. Let's hear you. Know the condition of your firearm and always treat it as a potentially dangerous tool. Most yeah. of our rules actually kind of have 
two and ones. There's a lot of like blank and blank. And uh, this is one of those. So know the condition of your firearm. Uh, you know, this is, and again, this is in contrast to the uh, all guns are loaded all the time concept. We always treat all guns as if they were loaded. Mm -hmm. So it, we're, we're taking a pretty big sidestep from that and saying, it's not about how you treat the gun necessarily. We, we want you to be familiar with the condition of the gun. Yep. Uh, as a context, I'll kind of give you some, you know, a little example I have a personal rule that every time I holster a gun, so gun goes from whatever position, table at the range, safe at my house, someone hands it to me, uh, I just got done shooting it, right? When the gun goes to the holster, the I perform an immediate condition check. Or I don't know. I'm sure there's words for this that are more fancy. But drop mag, check mag, see how full loaded it is. Right, push on top round, make sure spring's good, insert mag into gun, pull on mag to make sure it's fully seated, and then do a press check and make sure that the, the slide goes back fully into battery. Boom, holster up. And when, when you're not saying it out loud as you do it, it takes about three seconds. So what it, why you know what's the purpose of that? Especially when in my average life, right? Like it's always the exact same. Right, like at yep. night, take gun off, put in safe. In morning, open safe, grab gun, put back in holster. Like, what are the odds that it changed condition uh, while sitting in the safe? Pretty low, but I check it every time anyway, because no matter whether you're the, you're a newbie, and if you're a newbie, probably your worst case scenario nightmare is that th the gun might go off when you don't want it to, or if you're an extremely experienced carrier, where your worst case scenario is probably that the gun might not go off when you need it to. Wherever you are on the continuum you have extremely high need to know the condition of the gun, whether or not it's ready to fire or not. So, so that's the idea here is just knowing the condition of the firearm is, is the first key. Yep. Yeah. And I agree. And I, I follow much the same uh, practice where I check the gun every day uh, without fail. I'll, I'll tell you, and I've shared this before, but one of the big reasons why I do that is, and it's also part of the reason behind why we word the rule the way we do is uh, I once carried my gun the whole day unchambered, but in my mind it was chambered, right? I mean, I do religious dry fire practice. I do, I pretty much dry fire practice every day. I mean, sometimes it's not a lot, but I do something pretty much every day dry fire. And so you know, the, the, the thing there is that, well, I got to go into the so-called dry fire dojo, right? Unload gun, make sure everything, well, you're really supposed to do it outside the dojo, right? So you're unloading a gun, showing clear, putting the ammo away so it's nowhere in the area where you're doing the dry fire, right? And you do your dry fire, okay? Do the thing, right? Guns unloaded in a safe direction, all that stuff. Um, and you get done, and it's like, all right, well, I should load back up, right? Because it's a gun, most of the time I'm dry firing with the gun that I carry. Uh, unless I'm doing competition specific activities. And so that's a regular occurrence every day. Unload, dry fire, reload. Well, I thought I'd reloaded. And the truth is I actually went what that was, I was probably, I usually dry fire a lot in, towards the evening hours. So I probably did that in the evening, put the, you know, thought I loaded the gun back up, put it away that night when I went to bed in my, in my safe where it's always kept a uh, quick access safe. Um, and, uh, got up the next day, loaded up, or, you know, as far as like put the gun on my holster on my body, went about my day, went the whole day until I did dry fire that next evening and then went, Oh, I'm not chambered wake up call. Right. Because had I needed to use my gun that day and being in the mindset of what, which is my usual mindset of assuming that gun is ready for use. And in my world, ready for use means like I grab a gun and press trigger and it goes bang. I would have drawn my gun and pressed the trigger and got a click instead of a bang. And that would have sucked. <laughs> so um, anyway, we, we intentionally worded rule one, know the condition of your firearm. And honestly, if I could, I'd leave it just at that. Um, but we should imply that you still need to treat that firearm in a safe manner regardless of the condition that it's in, right? So, and, and we word that as, and treat it as a potentially dangerous tool. So 
what I've learned in my years of shooting and firearms instruction is that the, I think the one thing that pretty much is intuitive with people is they know guns are dangerous. They know a gun will hurt you, right? And so the issue isn't that somebody doesn't know that the gun loaded or not, like the issue isn't that they don't know it's dangerous. The issue is we do other things or we forget what we're doing with a gun in our hand. And that's when things go sideways. Uh, the know your condition part. Well, if I intend for it to be unloaded, then it should be unloaded. If I intend for it to be loaded, then it should be loaded. It's as simple as that. Just like it could have been a da- just like it could be a dangerous thing potentially to have a gun that I think is unloaded when it's actually not. And by that, what would be dangerous? Well, I think my Glock's unloaded because I'm getting ready to disassemble it, to clean it, maintain it, lubricate it, whatever. And so I know that for my Glock, I got to pull the trigger for it to come apart. So I intend it to be unloaded, but the reality is maybe it actually is. And I press the trigger and it goes bang. That's a dangerous situation. Even when I am pointed in a safe direction, right? So if it's unloaded and you, or it's, if you intend it to be unloaded and it's not, that's a dangerous situation. If you intend it to be loaded for defensive uses, especially, and it's not, that is potentially also equally dangerous. So that's why you need to know the condition of your firearm and then also treat it as a potentially dangerous tool. Yeah. I mean, if we're trying to do some apples to apples here, the, 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 the component here that's similar to the other versions of the rules is the always treat as a potentially dangerous tool. But we kind of snuck in an additional concept here that we think is as important and generally otherwise not acknowledged. Yep. yep. Well, that leads us into rule two, uh, which we have touched on as far as some of the other organizations' rules out there. Uh, Jeff Cooper's, for instance. Well, actually, I don't know if we mentioned his specifically, but uh, it's the never let the muzzle cover anything you're not willing to destroy. Okay. Which... Again, another variation of it that's fairly common is, uh, you know, to never let the muzzle or never point the gun uh, at something you're not willing to damage or destroy or something to that effect. Keep the gun pointed in a safe direction. Which is the NRA version, right? So that is the, those are the other commonly known variations of the rule. Our rule doesn't say that really at all, which might surprise some people. But again, what I've learned in all the years of teaching now and observing people uh, shooting guns at the range. I've learned this just from observing others at the range that I'm not even involved with. But what I've discovered is it's not that people don't remember. It's, it's, it's not that people don't understand the rule of pointing the gun in a safe direction. Okay. Cause again, intuitively I, I believe that 99.9% of humans understand that guns dangerous. It's that something else occurs that results in the gun being pointed in an unsafe direction. Yeah, I I put it this way. I say the majority of the time when this rule is broken, it's broken unknowingly. Yes. People don't know they're doing it. So it's it's a pretty rare occasion that you see someone break this rule fully aware that they're breaking it. Just brazenly say, I know I'm not supposed to do this and I'm going to do it anyway. That's pretty rare. Uh, I mean, not to say it hasn't happened or I haven't seen it happen. It's just not nearly as common. Most of the time, probably, and I'm, I'm making up this number, I don't have the data, but probably something like 95 plus percent of the time when this rule is broken, it's the person who's breaking the rule is fully unaware they're breaking it. They have no idea that what, the, what they've done or are doing. And that's exactly why we chose to to word it as always be attentive when handling a firearm and know where the muzzle is pointed. Now, consequently, you will know where the muzzle is pointed if you are being attentive. Again, I'd, I would I would really consider just wording that as always be attentive when handling a firearm and leave it at that. But we don't want to make assumptions. So know where the muzzle is pointed and that that's added on there for, for good measure. Uh, but the the real key thing is is you have to be fully engaged mentally in 
everything that you're doing with a firearm when it's in your hands, period. Yeah, you just can't allow distractions, right? You, you can't allow the control of the gun to go to the subconscious part of your brain where the autopilot kicks in and takes the path of least resistance or the path that's most natural because that leads to you breaking this rule. So it, being attentive means keeping the gun and the control of the gun in the conscious system, the system which you're aware and paying attention so that you can manage it properly because your, your natural inclinations and the path of least resistance that your subconscious brain will take will break this rule because it's not natural to do it. What's natural is to move your hands to where you talk, to where you look, to move them while you talk, to emphasize your words. That's natural. And so to avoid that, it, it, it requires you keeping the gun in your conscious system, particularly when you're newer as a gun owner. As you handle mm -hmm. guns more frequently, you can overwrite those natural processes. Your new natural, your new normal, your new instinct, or your new path of least resistance can be reprogrammed to handle the gun safely should you become distracted. But regardless of how, how much experience you have, being attentive of the gun while handling it is the key. I think another secondary element here that's implied that's important to point out is that then you get to stop being attentive when you stop handling the gun. Mm -hmm. So if you need to become distracted, if you need to talk about the Broncos and how they're doing this year, or consider you know the meeting you have with your boss tomorrow morning, that means just get the gun out of your hands, reholster, put it back in the safe, in, on the table, whatever, and, and then you can allow yourself to disconnect mentally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and as, in, as instructors, that's certainly something that we've dealt with where like a common thing that sometimes happens is you're, you're working with a student on the range, they're in a class, whatever. And, and the whole point of the class is you're, you're throwing at them new stuff. You're trying to teach them skill, right? And concepts. And as you progress through a class, some students may get to a point where they're a little bit overwhelmed by the amount of information they've received. Uh, it's going to be dependent on skill level. I mean, it's more common when you have somebody that's taking a class they're maybe not quite ready for, you know, and that's a tough thing. Sometimes like we, we do a class, uh, we, we try to write the best class description that we can. And, you know, people sometimes sign up for classes that are not quite ready for e even with that information. Uh, we can't screen every student that comes to our classes. So point is, occasionally you end up with somebody that's not quite ready. And those are, and I, I usually pick up on that stuff pretty quick. And I, I watch those people a lot more closely because I know the tendency is that they may run into something at some point where it's just, oh, we pushed them over the edge. They're trying to do too many things consciously at once. And that's where, and that's really what it is. We're talking about, the lack of subconscious competence with the handling of a firearm means that it has to be in the conscious mind. And now you're teaching other things that because they're not known and understood yet, they're not yet a skill. Those are also having to be processed in, by the conscious mind. Uh, the conscious brain can, we can really only focus on one thing at a time effectively. Uh, otherwise we're bouncing around between multiple things. And when that happens, you get over overwhelmed, overloaded, and then the safety aspect goes out the window quite often, uh, pretty, pretty quickly, pretty easily. So it, this is a reminder that rule two is that you must be always attentive when handling a firearm. Simple as that. And it, like Jacob said, as soon as you recognize uh, that you've lost that attentiveness, that you're overwhelmed, that you're struggling to keep up with whatever's being taught, it's probably a time to sit down and take a breather. So that's rule two. That brings us to rule three. Now, this is the one we argued about. This is the one we argued about. Uh I was going to say that like rule three in the NRA context is different. They actually have always keep the gun unloaded until ready to use. Uh, we're not going to really touch on that one today. Uh, and, and it doesn't necessarily have a place in our particular context. Uh, I'm not saying it doesn't have a place at all. I'm just saying that that's not something we're talking about here today, but rule three would be more in line with as, Jeff Cooper taught, which was keep your finger off the trigger until your sights are on the target. Okay. So that's, that's the Jeff Cooper version of the rule. 
NRA's number two rule is always keep your finger off the trigger until ready to shoot. Very similar, right? Yeah, I mean, and we've seen lots of variations of this. Until you've made the conscious decision to fire, until you've identified your target and decided to shoot, you know, you know, various whatevers. But it it all comes down to keeping the finger off the trigger. Yep. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about here. So uh, this, I, and I would say that honestly, how our current rule three is worded is not all that different from those rules. Um, I will say this much that it was important to me that we word it in a positive manner. Okay. In other words, you tell what to do versus what not to do. Right. So our, our version of the rule as it currently stands. And again, we debated this was keep your finger out of the trigger guard unless you are on target and prepared to fire. So you see the similarities to the other rules. The positive instruction is, well, you're telling to keep the finger out of the trigger guard. That is a positive instruction, but it's maybe not quite as specific as what I would have preferred to use personally. And I'm just going to describe what that is right now. I would like to say, keep your finger in the home position or something to that effect, which is a term I've borrowed from Jeff Gonzalez where I picked it up from. And I, I think that description is an awesome description. The problem is, is what is the home position? Right. It has to be defined. I can't expect that anybody reading that or hearing that would know what that means. So now Jacob, this is where Jacob has, has the debate. I think it's coming back to me. I said, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think it had to do with this point, which was you wanted to say, why don't you say, tell the folks what you wanted it to be? This is, yeah, this is ridiculous and you're wrong, but that's okay. So, (laughs) so most, most, most of the time, these safety rules are written to say, keep the finger off the trigger, but as an industry, as a whole, like no, no instructor ever says, Oh, just keep your finger off the trigger. Because we all know that's not really what we want you to do. Because you could put your finger in the trigger. You could have a finger still inside, just not touching the trigger. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I can have, yeah, I can have my finger in the trigger guard, just off the trigger, and I'd meet that safety rule the way it's literally written. So Mm -hmm. no industry professional anywhere actually teaches that because we all know that 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 is literally unsafe. Just keep your finger off the trigger is not good enough. And so, in our version, we went one step further by saying, keep your finger out of the trigger guard, which hopefully makes clear that it's not okay to have your finger in the trigger guard, but just off the trigger. You you need to remove it completely from the trigger guard. And this is where the debate ensued because <laughs> I wanted to take it one step further because as an industry, as a firearm industry, we very specifically do not teach people to put their finger exactly outside the trigger guard, across over the top of the trigger, but on the outside of the trigger guard. We don't teach that because we are aware of a concept of sympathetic squeeze, right? That that potentially if my finger is still aligned with the trigger, even though it's outside of the trigger guard, then I run the risk of slipping the finger into the trigger guard inadvertently. Maybe because I'm surprised by something, somebody bumps into me and sympathetic squeeze, muscles contract, and boom, finger slips slips in to the trigger guard inadvertently, and I hit the trigger. So as an industry, as a whole, without exception, I've never met an instructor anywhere who didn't teach it this way. We teach people to put their finger not just outside the trigger guard, but above the trigger guard on the frame of the gun. Uh, and some people feel like it needs to be this high or that high or whatever, as high as you can, you know, whatever. But but as a whole, as an industry, we've accepted that the proper place to put that finger is not in the trigger guard, not on the outside of the trigger guard, but in line with the trigger, but above the trigger guard on the outside of the trigger guard on the frame of the gun. And so this is where the argument ensued. I wanted to word the rule to that specificity. I wanted to say something like, you know, keep your finger outside of and above the trigger guard on the frame of the gun until such and such and such. Mm -hmm. And you pushed back. Yes, because it made a rule 
that would have taken a whole page to fit it on. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> outside the trigger guard versus outside and of and it. above the trigger guard. It does on the frame of the gun. Like, okay, yeah, sure. We added six words or something. <laughs> well, so, and again, this is, this is one of the challenges with the safety rules. And I talked about in the beginning that there, I do feel it's important to try to keep things uh, succinct, you know, so that it can be, relatively easy to remember right and as when we had it written a certain way more in line with what you preferred it was like a solid on a standard word document it was like three lines um and i was like man that's a lot like we were looking at our other rules and they were like this and this and then rule three was like you know and i was like man like I want it to be simple, more simple. Another reason you had, which I thought was semi-viable, was you said, well, there are some people who don't have the dexterity to do that. And that's true. Like I've, I've certainly been on the range with people who cannot get their finger fully above the trigger guard on the frame of the gun. I think there's still arthritis. Just, and yeah, they can't, they can't injuries. do it. Right? So, so then it, it becomes, okay, then, well, then we have to say something like outside the trigger guard as high above the trigger guard as physically able, you know, and it becomes even more even worded, more wordy, more wordy uh, in order to kind of disclaim this idea of ability and phys- physical ability to, to get the finger where we're describing. Uh, but it's, it's, it's frustrating because I am the Amelia Bedelia here. Like I am the literal guy and I'm like, we're, we're saying one thing, but it's not perfectly what we actually mean. And I don't like that. And I understand that. I really do. Uh, and I agree with you on that point. Um, I, I think part of where I'm at is that there is some, like when we look at the safety rules, even the traditional ones, whichever traditional ones you want to refer to, uh, and even Jeff Cooper acknowledged this in, in the way that he taught his four rules was that you could basically violate any one of those rules and in theory, nobody should get hurt, but you violate two rules and somebody's probably getting hurt, right? Uh, and, and so the idea was that, well, if I, I, I might end up with my finger still on the trigger but as long as I still maintain a safe muzzle direction, no problem. If I discharge around, it goes in a safe direction all as well, right? Lesson learned and we move on with life. Or if I make sure I never touch the trigger except for when I'm on target, but then I accidentally muzzle myself or somebody else, not cool, but what does it take to make this thing fire? This guy, the trigger finger. So you see that there's that built-in redundancy. So I think where I ended up with trying to balance this need for keeping a rule relatively short and sweet as much as we could, but still say specifically enough information that we keep people safe is kind of how I ended up where I did with as long as we do keep the finger out of the trigger guard, and as long as we're still obeying the other rules as we've discussed them, we're still in a good place. Now, this is the one thing that in my classes that we talk about rule three. And I explained to the class, if I could, I'd word this as keep your finger in the home position. But that requires defining. So now I'm going to tell you what that home def- home position is. And then we describe high up above the trigger guard on the frame or even on the slide, if you can, is even more preferred. Do that. Okay. At the very least, I want to see it on the frame. And I say, this is your home position. Many guns will have, whether it's a pin, uh, uh, a lever, a divot, divot, yeah, like any of that kind of stuff. If you want, if you make that your home position, fine. It's above, it's, it's out of the trigger guard. I'm happy with that. And then in the class, if I see a a trigger finger safety violation, all I say is home position to that individual and click light bulb goes off. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. And they fix it immediately. It's very simple. It's also 
it I like saying that in a class when I need to. I don't like saying it. I'd rather everyone, you know, stays safe the whole time. But it does sometimes happen. And so I like saying home position as opposed to get your finger out of the trigger guard or whatever, right? That just is a lot more um aggressive sounding. And it's it's negative. It's a negative connotation, right? So uh anyway, that's 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 yes, this was a big, big, big big debate uh we went back and forth for probably an hour on this one thing say what you mean man uh, i i remember we re, we rewrote and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote this trying to arrive at that short and succinct and say specifically exactly what we want to say and it was a really big struggle now i'll say this much having been you having adopted this verbiage for a while now, Jacob, I would, um, at this point now, I'm not saying whether we're doing this or not. I don't know, but I would compromise and would, uh, I would say, I would get on board with saying the following. I don't know whether you would agree with this or not, but I would, I would, I would go along with this, uh, keep your finger high and out of the trigger guard unless you were on target and prepared to fu- uh, fire. No, I don't think we ever came up with that idea after our hour of arguing, because that's still pretty succinct. Uh, yeah. yeah that, uh, that's only adding two words. Yeah. And that never Which, came. And we never considered that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, to me, words like I'm just, I don't know how to say it. Like I've said it five times. Like I'm, I'm very literal. Like I just yeah. want it to be worded to say exactly what I mean. And if I have to say a safety rule to a class and then tell them I mean something slightly different than what the rule literally says, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. Because like I said, I'm still at that place where I say our rule three and then I say, and here's what home position means. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then disclaim and explain. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I don't know, folks, if you're listening to this still, tell us what you think about rule three, about our rule three or about what you think rule three should say. Uh, I mean, the, the, the big thing here is you know, the, the principle that's involved. And by the way, I'm always a principles focused individual, right? You know, when it even comes to my teaching, it's like, Oh, you've got this technique or that technique. Well, do they accomplish the same job at the end of the day? What are the core principles that are involved with technique A and technique B and technique C or whatever, right? Because at the core of everything, there are some, there's some sort of a principle or principles involved. The principle here is finger is not on the trigger when we're not on target ready to shoot it. And a little bit beyond that is if it's not on the trigger, then where should it be? Well, it should be high and above the trigger guard. So as long as you understand that, then we good. Yep. Anything else you want to say? Just that I was right. and You were wrong. <laughs> If you if you had won the debate, we'd have a paragraph, very long paragraph of a, of a rule. <laughs> <laughs> rule four. So the NRA doesn't have a rule four, um, but they uh, and they don't really have a rule that encompasses this rule four as Jeff Cooper teaches or as a number of other organizations teach, um, and that is. The you know the Jeff Cooper version is be sure of your target, uh, which is that's very succinct. Uh, it's not super specific because you could ask the question, well, what does that mean? What does being sure of my target mean exactly? Uh, so you know we chose to to verbalize this as identify your target, all surroundings. And be prepared for changes. Yeah, there are versions out there that are that address the environment. There are versions that are like, be, you know, uh, be where your target and what's behind it or what's beyond it or yes. your, 
you know, beware your target and target environment. Or, you know, like so I've seen you know, yes. there's plenty of variations that go this step further to to talk about not just the target, but you know, the target environment. Yep. But I think we took a slightly different approach and said it's not it's not just about yes, you should identify your target. Yes. And and, and identify is a key word here. It's not beware of or be sure of, or, you know, it's like, no, identify your target. And, and then yes, surely the surroundings are important, but then we, we, you know, we go one step further and we say, and be prepared for changes because environments change. You know, yep. shooting is dynamic. Even sometimes on a square range, they change, right? Because you get a ceasefire or so-and-so dropped whatever, or a deer comes trotting across the, the shooting bay. We had so, a road runner. Uh, <laughs> on one of our shooting bays at the gardening conference. Really? I didn't hear about that. And he, and he was exactly in line. We were getting ready to shoot. It was on the competition stage and we were getting ready to shoot it again. And he was perfectly in line with one of the targets. Like had somebody jumped, jumped up and shot that target right then and there, like for sure, Mr. Roadrunner would be dead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a red road runner outside Me of the cartoon. Either. Me yeah. either. Until I had, until the gardening conference. So, so yeah, that, I think that identify is a keyword for us. Identify the target, and I think this is of utmost importance. It's a soapbox issue for me. And then yes, uh, certainly identify all your surroundings, and then that extra step: be prepared for changes. Yeah, yeah, and, and this brings back to light the you know what I said earlier in the episode about how it was important to us that the rules apply to all environments, square ranges, as well as real world ones. And it's the real world stuff, right? A defensive shooting, for instance, an officer involved incident, whatever, where those environments are the ones that change very rapidly. And we absolutely must do our very best that we can to, you know, obviously identify the target. I mean, we just talked today, Matthew and I did in the justified saves uh, episode about how a father shot his daughter you know, doing a search through his house, right? He shot at, and it said it in the article, shot at a silhouette, right? So identify your target. You must identify it, okay? All surroundings, because that starts opening up your vision to, well, what's what's around here? What's going on? If I shoot, even if I have a legitimate threat and I shoot at them and I miss or my bullet passes through, is there a surface that that's going to ricochet off and go and hit somebody else? Is the fact that my threat is here, but he's moving that way, and that's going to change my environment where now it was safe to now it's not safe? Okay, yeah, then like that's why it's being 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 uh, identifying the surroundings, but also being prepared for changes. And yeah, you, as you said, stuff can change on a square range too. I was at a, a public range a f- number of years ago now that was ran by RSOs. So you had people in charge that were, their job was to keep people safe and their job was to identify, okay, now's the time everybody can go down range and switch out targets. Okay. Now everybody's back. All right. The line is safe. Okay. You may proceed to fire again. It was a very, one of those strict ranges that I don't really enjoy shooting at very much because you have to follow so many of these like little rules and you can't draw from a holster and stuff. I was at that range when the RSOs, and there were two of them walking up and down the line that somehow missed, there was a dude downrange still when they said, okay, good to go. We're safe now. You know, like the, like the line is safe. We can begin shooting again kind of thing. So, um, or the downrange area is clear and it wasn't. So, uh, the fact that somebody happened to notice, oh, um, sir, there's somebody downrange. They were being, they were clued into this rule four. As far as the situation, the surroundings, and you know, things had changed and were not what they were, what they should have been. So, uh, super, super, super important that again we identify the target and and anything around it, beyond it, in between us and it. That's the surroundings piece and being ready for changes. Uh, we highlight almost on a monthly basis in our justified saves episode where somebody gets shot that shouldn't get shot. And it's usually because somebody is shooting at a shape, shadow, or sound, as Jacob likes to call it, the triple S disease. And that is a lack of identifying the target. 
Yeah, I'm sorry to hear about the one you guys covered today. I'll have to add that to my list. I have an ongoing list of mm-hmm. people shooting their family members. Yep. But uh, it's, a, it's a rough one. Yeah. It, <laughs> unfortunately, there are situations where you don't you you put yourself in a situation where you don't have the time necessary to be able to identify the target before you think you need to start shooting at it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a legitimate, like valid point. But, but the problem is that you're only in that situation because of poor tactics. Mm-hmm. So tactics have to maximize. Yeah. Yeah. Your tactics have to maximize your ability to identify the target before you feel necessary to shoot at it. So anyway, yeah. what, a, what a disaster. No, you're, you're, you're exactly right about that. And, and this is, a, a, you know, I'll just throw this out there that we have to remind ourselves that we're always on defense. We are always on defense. And that's a, that's a tough thing. That's a tough thing because when you are scared and your blood pressure is up, your heart rate is up, and you feel like at any moment the boogeyman could jump around the corner at you, um, it, it, that, that is a discipline thing. That you have to, have to, have to, no matter what, be in that position of, I have, even though this thing jumps out or something changes rapidly and surprises me, I have to figure out what it is before I bring the gun up on it and press the trigger. It's as simple as that. And does that mean that being on defense all the time means that we might end up being a little bit behind the power curve and maybe we end up getting hurt? Yeah, it does sometimes because that's what being on defense means. We have to react to what somebody else has already made the decision to do, right? So that is, it's called defensive shooting or defensive handgun or whatever for a reason. So anyway, there you go, folks. That's what we argued about. We argued a lot about that trigger finger placement. Um, let us know what you think, whether you agree with me or with Jacob, <laughs> or if you think we should have said something else entirely. Uh, also, let us know what you think about our four safety rules. I'll review those for you again real quick so it's fresh on your mind and you know so you hear it all at once. Number one, know the condition of your firearm and treat it as a potentially dangerous and always treat it as a potentially dangerous tool. Number two, always be attentive when handling a firearm and know where the muzzle is pointed. Number three, keep your finger out of the trigger guard unless you were on target and prepared to fire. And number four, identify your target, all surroundings and be prepared for changes. So that's our four safety rules. Let us know what you think. And we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you guys can always email us at podcast at concealedcarry.com. Oh, Jacob, did you mention earlier in the episode, you wanted to thank some folks for some messages? Yes. Thank you for giving me that opportunity. So last week, episode 15 of season three, I shared um, a bit of my recent medical trial and some lessons I learned from that. And I received, our company received uh, a significant volume of emails and messages and well wishes. And um, just wanted to say I was grateful, you know, for for all that. Unfortunately, I was very much so unable to personally respond to all those messages. And so I did give our customer service team kind of a a, a canned response for lack of a better word. And so I apologize about that, but there, there was a significant volume. I'm very grateful for uh, the concern and the sympathy and empathy that was expressed. Awesome. Yeah. And, and I've said the same thing, you know, we've, we've mentioned it. I, I, I've certainly told you I've been, I was overwhelmed uh, during the time that you were unwell and out by the number of people that were reaching out to me to basically tell you to, Hey, hang in there, get well, uh, be strong, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and it's funny, you know, because on the one hand, uh, you were getting a lot of messages yourself, right. And you, you wanted to try to dump as much of that on me as you could, cause you were just 
you couldn't deal with all that. Uh, I was struggling to deal with business, you know, run, trying to run the business without you. And then I was getting inundated with people wanting me to tell you how, how much they were thinking about you and praying for you. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is in fact overwhelming, but you know what? Uh, I hope I was always gracious uh, towards those that reached out. I, I think I was uh, because it was, it did mean a lot to me actually. And I know it meant a lot to you just to see how many people cared enough to uh, want to express uh, their, their best for you. So yeah, thanks to all of you that whether you reached out to me or Jacob. Well, should we wrap it up? Yes, sir. Well, guys, we appreciate you being here with us for another fine episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. Uh, hard to believe we are in season four. You know, it's probably like approaching episode 600 now at this point <laughs> from, from the original count, right? Um, but guys, uh, thanks for all you do in supporting us and supporting our sponsors. Again, today's sponsors were our gun safety course as as uh, hosted at concealedcarry.com. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash gun safety course totally free 100% uh, anybody can take that that course uh, and uh, hopefully you'll you'll learn from it and benefit from it uh, and number two our other sponsor the ready up gear dummy mo uh, the, the inert training rounds that are sold at readyupgear.com guys thanks again for your support we wish you the best we'll see you back here next week so until then a reminder to train right train often and train safe so you can fight hard fight fast, and fight true. Take care.